Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I love to talk to creative people. And today I have one of my favorite performers uh, on the podcast, Kathy Deach. She's a singer and actress. She's got a slew of uh, musical theater credits, including Wicked on Broadway, Footloose. And she's coming out in a show that I was able to see live in L.A., but is going to be streaming uh, on May 2nd, Titanic. It is a twist on the classic film featuring the music of Celine Dion. It is funny, funny, funny. And I was so excited when I saw that they were going to do it uh, live as a live stream. So um, it's a lot of the same people I saw do it on stage. Super funny. You can learn about it at titaniquethemusical.com. Titanic, I-Q-U-E. Um, and get your ticket to watch the live stream on May 2nd. Uh, before we get to Kathy in the interview, I want to get a mention in for my website, DennisAnyone.net or DennisHensley.com. I merged them like that. And uh, all about saving those, those dollars where you can. Um, there's a virtual tip jar there if you want to kick in a little to help me keep the podcast going, pay for the expenses that come with doing it. Um, I always appreciate that. Uh, you can also learn about the other stuff I got going on, including the virtual game nights I've been hosting, You Don't Know My Life. I'd love to host a game for you. Go to YouDon'tKnowMyLife.com. You can learn about that. All right, that's enough of that. Here's Kathy Deach. Joining me now via Zoom, it's Kathy Deach, uh, actress, singer, uh, d- delightful presence. Um, you are back east right now, right? Where are you coming from? I am, Dennis. Hi, thank you so much for having me on here. I just love you. Um, I am, you know, I'm originally from Philadelphia, and when my parents uh, retired, they went down down the shore, hun. That's what we say. Right. That's what you say when you're from Philly. You get down the shore, Jersey. So they're in um, May's Landing now. So I am sequestering to safely travel travel for the show. And um, so that's where I am right now. Well, the show that you mentioned is something that I got to see here in Los Angeles a couple of years ago. And when I saw it pop up on my social media feed, I was like, I can't believe this is happening again. Titanic. Tell my yes. listeners what Titanic is. I like to say um, it is the story of Titanic as told through the eyes of Celine Dion. And we have a person who plays Celine Dion and um in her way, she walks you through all of her songs to tell the story. So we sing all Celine Dion songs as we butcher the plot of Titanic, the movie, with some, like, actual things that happened on the Titanic, too. But, um, yeah, and it's hilarious and irreverent and wrong, but, like, so right. It just it hits so many good spots of, like, pop culture that people are just so aware for and you know no one is like Celine I mean she really is such an original that it's it's really an homage I mean we do we poke a tiny bit of fun but really it's us like we make fun of us loving her so much more than the movie actually gets it harder I think right well (laughs) I am a Celine fan and I loved what you guys did with this crazy show you play the unsinkable Molly Brown person, right? That uh, yes, yeah, yes. Kathy Bates. Um, actually, I play Kathy Bates as Molly Brown, which is really fun. That's like my full character title. <laughs> and I recall you singing your face off. And what 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 is your big song? You have like I just remember there was one where the roof came off the theater. Oh, that's very sweet. Well, the 
the <clears throat> reason why I did it, Ty Blue is our director and one of the co-creators, and he um, asked me to do an early reading, gosh, already four years ago, which is crazy. And he said, I can send you a script. You know, I know a lot about you. We have so many common friends. And, and I was like, oh, yeah. I, I, you know, I've played Kathy Bates before, like a young Kathy Bates in American Horror Story. This is very, like, it, it it's like in my wheelhouse. Right. And then he's, and, you know, I'm obsessed with her. So anytime anyone asks me to play in anything of Kathy Bates, I'm, right. by the way, I'm putting that out to, there to everyone. Like, let's go. Let's go. Like, Misery if I wanted musical, Kathy Bates to come to my birthday party. <laughs> You, you would, could just have me in a beard. Yeah, yes. there you go. Okay, that's good to know. I'm gonna, I'm gonna so, put that in the back of my mind. Um, but uh, he said to me, yeah. So when Molly goes in the boat and is rowing to get Rose off of the door, she sings all by myself. And he said that, and I was like, well, um, don't need to read it. I'll totally do it. I want to do that. So All By Myself is one of the songs. and my, But really my favorite, because I just love singing with other people so much, and these singers are really just outrageous. Um, we sing Tell Him, and I get to be Babs. You get to be and Barbara Streisand in the Celine Dion duet. First of all, All By Myself is... Celine might say that's the hardest one to sing. Like, it's those huge sustained notes that are really high. What is it like to actually sing it? Um, You know, it's... Uh... It's a little, it's funny because, you know, she does tell a story about how David Foster, who wrote it, um, asked her what key, and she gave him the key, and then he did it like a step and a half higher in the studio. Really? And, that and, little and he, and he recorded it a step and a half higher, and she was like, David, and he's like, I can get someone else to do it, and, you know, she's like, no, you won't, and then right. she did it. Um, she and so literally in rose to the occasion. <laughs> yes, literally. So you see her in, like, the late 90s doing the higher key and now she, now that she's like you know a grown woman she does it a little lower um i do it in that high key um you know what it's so funny and it's just so ridiculous it feels great i mean it's a, like i have f sharps i'm really lucky not well let's hope they keep coming so it's like it's not it's not hard for me it's it's not really hard it's right there I, I, what is the right note the where she goes anymore what's that really high one before the before that's going into the final bit. Anymore. Um, I think I want to say that's the F sharp. There, it? there it is. My favorite part of her performance of that isn't necessarily the note, but it's the body language that happens oh. with the note. Pa, 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 pa. Like she does this. Oh no, Celine is all about. That's our favorite part. <laughs> yes. That's why we. That's why we love to do it because we're all giving like, oh yes, like <laughs> gestures. Like I just did that. What? <laughs> yes. She's, it's yes, almost no, like she's casting a spell with her body, and she's so in it. Um, yeah. My other favorite thing about Celine is her jokey sense of humor. Like she's super sticky. And I think if you were her friend, you would really have to get on that boat and go with her to shtick land oh, yeah. and, la <laughs> and and laugh a lot at things that were a little corny. Like, she kind of got a corny there's, sense of humor. Girlfriend, sister girlfriend. A, girlfriends, yes. There's a, there's a deep cut of 
um, that we go to in one of the like four hour docu series that she made, she, I, which I feel like she has several of her concerts, by the way. Right. But there's there's one where she's singing "Who Let the Dogs Out," and she kind of gets in one of her like background da- dancers' faces, and he's like, "Who lets a lean out?" And it's one of those moments where like you can tell he's like, "I realize I could get fired, or I could make it onto the DVD," and she totally is like, "Ooh." Who she totally goes in with him. Oh no, she's cookie crazy. She's cookie crazy. Yeah, right. we love, we love. That's why it's so fun to have her be in the show and that as a character. It's just so, and like getting to do homage to our musical director. Uh, Nick is so meticulous. He's such a crazy fan. He goes to every live recording. The arrangements are almost identical. Like he really he really like wants fans to be able to recognize like how much we love her too. So. I love it. Cause I feel like, I feel like this needs to exist in the world for the Celine lovers out there like myself who also are in on the joke a little bit. Um, here's my piece of Titanic history. I interviewed Celine Dion for cosmopolitan magazine. And we did the interview in the back of the limo on her ride to the Titanic Oscar rehearsal from Beverly Hills down to the Oscar rehearsal. Like I was in the thick of pop culture, right? You couldn't ask for, I was ground zero. She was super nice. I loved it. When I got to the Beverly Hills hotel, she was, she hadn't talked for days. Like she is no joke about protecting that instrument. And as a singer, you must respect that, right? The way she has treated her instrument and the way she is about her voice. I mean, just the way she sings is so athletic, you know? She really is an athletic singer. And just like, you know, guys who are football players aren't running, you know, and tackling people all week long. Like, she right. has to rest, too. And, I, you know, I remember being young and being like, whatever, you know what I mean? Like, like please. Right. And now as I'm getting older and realizing what I have to do in order to maintain, like, right. you know, you you have an appreciation for someone who's like, it, it, my most important thing is my singing. And the sacrifice and she, that she yeah, does. Yeah. I've had a friend who I won't name, but he owned a very, very fancy candle company and he was, had a meeting with her to do, um, a candle line and, uh, a line of sling candles. And I would smell them every day. I would buy every one of them. (laughs) I don't think it ever worked out, Right. but he was texting me while she was texting him in the movie. And he's like, in the, in the meeting, it was like, Celine will not talk to me, Kathy. She's not, she's texting me instead of talking to me. I'm talking to her and she's answering me in text. And I just was like, she's got to save that gift, boo. She's got to save it. So he was in an actual (laughs) meeting with her and she was texting him. That's Mm -hmm. no joke. I mean, so you're very lucky that you heard her speak. Yes. She she gave me the interview, which I needed. But that was a wonderful memory. I'll never forget it. And uh, and it was, it was Who so... Who forgets how she almost smashed... I just keep thinking about how she almost smashed the diamond when she pounded her chest. Yeah. Do you remember that Oscars performance? I was pooping my pants. Yeah. It was, she, it was, that's it was the a famous big... slamming her chest and like the, the rock like bounced off her chest because it was so close to it. I thought <laughs> she was going to smash that diamond. So what exactly are you guys doing? Are you going to be on a stage together? What What is this that you're doing on so May 2nd that a... people can buy tickets for and, and stream? 
it's a streaming event. It is a concert in a, a performance space. Gosh, I've been to so many times. It's usually like a music space, uh, Le Poisson Rouge in New York downtown. Nice. And they've converted it into this like live streaming venue. And, you know, there's like, a, we're having like a camera blocking rehearsal. It's, it's like pretty cool. It's not just like you're watching us on a stage in one shot. We're going to have a bunch of different shots. And um, so we're bumping up our comedy and our um, choreography. And, you know, uh, we have new people on board, which is so exciting. And um, yeah, it, it's, uh, we, you know, the thing is, is that we, we have to sequester yes, because it's technically a SAG contract and they make you sequester and everything. So we're quarantining and then we'll all get together for the first time, like two days before. <laughs> so we're on amazing. Zoom right now, rehearsing. It's out of control. So you're not yeah. rehearsing together physically for a, for a few days, until like two days another before. Another week. Yeah, another this week is, this. God bless them for, for saying, let's go for it. So hopefully we they sell a lot of tickets and it, and it's, and it works out for everybody because they flew you in, right? People are flying yeah. in from the West Coast. Yeah, I, and Frankie Grande is actually doing uh, the company that um, is who's like the streaming platform. I believe their premiere one is Saturday, and that is with Rock of Ages. Wow! And they're doing like a they're doing a New York and LA like split thing. I don't even know how that's happening, but he's doing the LA company. And then next week he'll do ours, which is really, it's a company's called Stellar. I love so, it. Um, yeah. So it's, so it's, yeah. So we do, we have people who, um, everybody will be coming in. <laughs> what is it, what does it mean to you to be putting on a show after a year of, uh, this pandemic? Is there a little bit like we're getting the game together? Like, is it exciting? It is there, you know, it's also nerve wracking. Uh, flying was very nerve wracking, just to be really frank. Like, well, your I, outfit was sensational. I saw the outfit on uh, <laughs> on uh, Instagram. I did keep my sequence to myself. I didn't yes. go too crazy. Um, but and I got like fully felt up, like I got flagged or alarmed or something and like had to do the full body pot at down and I was just like who flagged me on this that I'm like dangerous like what is happening I just want to just want to go sit in a seat yeah. have a coffee anyway. maybe they knew you were carrying those F sharps they, they could did. sense it <laughs> they did. right that's funny anyway but um but then like getting here it's we're all on the zooms like longing to be together right but even are not together physically it, yet yeah, just hearing it, though, makes us so excited. Like, I am really excited to get back in a room with people. You know, I was lucky. I um I got called to do some, like, pickup stuff for um, a Christmas Carol movie that's happening. And it, 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 it wasn't a sound. It was just, like, us acting out some scenes for, like, a montage thing. But I had to be in, like, full, like, Dickens outfit. And everybody was, like, tested and most of us were vaccinated and we had like a meal together and it was like on set all day together. It was really cool. So I kind of feel like I, I warmed up with that and now just, you know, we're going to have, I guess a handful of people in the audience because you just don't want with this show crickets. Like you can't No. Yeah, or, or, and also you guys are going to be so tempted to laugh at each other because everyone is so funny. Tell me some of the other folks that are in it. Frankie Grande's in it. Um, yes, Frankie Grande. Some plays folks Victor know from Barber. reality TV, and 
but he's yes. a very funny, talented performer. What does he play? Uh, he plays, we call him Victor Garber because he's sort of like the captain of the ship, but right. also the guy who made it. So we just call him Victor Garber. Um, there's uh, Marla Mindel, uh, who... Um, gosh, has been in a few series lately. Like, she's really brilliant. She was in Cinderella, the big revival that, like, had, like, a really... She was a stepsister in that. Nice. Um, Who did she and, play? And, and, and then Sister Act, she the musical. She was the, the one that, that was quiet and then all of a sudden sings. Um, and she's played Celine, and she is so funny. Alex Ellis plays Rose. Um, she is just like you know she has like a crazy amount of broadway right. credits under and she was just in the cbs diversity showcase before we had shut down and um she was so funny in it and she's so funny i mean she really and she sings so much in the show right it's crazy um constantine and, you know, is in it of course i follow Con him on instagram and that's when i first Connie's saw this he's in it and he he's a blonde to play jack he how does he say his last cute. name Rizuli? Rizuli. Rizuli. Yeah. <laughs> I first saw him in some of the For the Record shows. He's very talented and delicious oh, so and funny. sweet. So funny. Yeah. 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 It's a lot of really, really talented people. We're very, very fortunate. And, and you know, it's, it feels really collaborative. Like, you can have an idea. Like, everybody has, um, like, their stuff tried out. And if it doesn't work, it's okay. Like, you know, nobody is, like, precious about any of this because it's... It's literally the stupidest spoof ever. You right. know, it's just dumb. But it's happening live, right? It's a live stream, so it's happening. Like, you've got to... It's not like, okay, we're going to edit it together later and they'll fix that. Like you No, gotta... it is live. So we will have marks we need to hit, like, in the 70s. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> it's awesome. like Liza with a Z, except for a little different. <laughs> and, and it's on May 2nd at 7.30 Eastern, which would be 4.30 yes. Pacific. And yes. do you know where people can find out about it? I, I believe it's titanicmusical.com. Right. Um, I want to talk about some of the other cool stuff you've done. You were in one of my favorite movies, and this isn't a joke, Magic Mike XXL. You were in the big crowd scene, right, when the guys are stripping and you had, like, sort of a featured moment? I was. Who I was. Were you, who, who, who were the guys did you most interact with? Uh, I met Matt Bomer. Matt, Matt Bomer was yeah. like, sort of like your stripper moment. I was his girl. You were his I girl. Was girl. I was Ken's girl. Yeah. So, um, first of all, I love that you love the movie because I love the movie too. And I'll tell and you why like in a bit. I'll get, kind of get a little, yeah. I'll, I'll do a little deep dive on it. Um, yeah. But, so you, you were in the big climactic scene. Matt Bomer is giving you his every bump and grind. How many days yes, are you shooting that? Uh, it shot down in Savannah. Yeah. And it was a week. It was it a week. Was a week of every day going to work and looking Maddie at these Bomer men. working my Punani with his nose. Yes. Um, no, it wasn't the whole week. But he did get it one shot. And, like, my belt flung off. And I went, Aah! like, it was hilarious. He got, and he said to me, he's like, I all got up in there, didn't I, that time? I was like, oh, my God, you did. <laughs> so they're actually very good at strip. Like, they're, like, they all learned how to do it really well. Like. <laughs> They just, it's so, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm like covering my face. I'm all purple. No, I love that you love the movie. Uh, can I tell you a really funny story about how I got the job? Yes. Um. So as we talked about, I got to play Kathy Bates uh, in a, it was in American Horror Story. Right. I played um, a young Ethel and she was Ethel. And um, which season was it? Coven? It, 
season it was a freak show freak show okay so i'm on the plane flying down you know because like it's like a big deal job it's in new orleans and uh matt bomer is next to me and um i know people who know him i know a lot of his classmates he's because he was a musical theater guy so i said i was like hey i was like i think i like i'm very good friends with your prom date and he was like, what? And I was like, me and Sue, we totally did an off-Broadway show. We played sister. She's like my sister. He's like, oh, my God, I love her. And then we just talked about musical theater people we knew. And then he had, like, a lot of work to do. His episode was pretty intense. So um, so we like we had our little red scripts. It was really cute. Anyway, so I call my friend who's been working as casting director in Atlanta and Savannah. And I was like, hey, I just met your boy, Matt Bomer, because he was working on Magic Mike. Right. And he was like, oh, my God, you met Matt? I was like, yeah. He's like, wait a minute. I'm going to spin this for you. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. So he hangs up. But I'm all, if it involves spinning, it involves Matt Bomer. <laughs> Sign me up. He calls me back and he's like, I need your reel. I need your headshot and resume. And I'm going to pass it along to um, Soderbergh. Right. And um, I was like, what? And so th- basically – all of the parts that you see at the end, the girls who get danced with, we right. all, they, they were like principal parts. They, they weren't extras. Right. So the guys had to have approval. And so like my friend who's a casting director just jumped on it and he's like, Hey Matt, you talked to my friend Kathy on the plane. Do you want her as your girl? He was like, yes. So when I went down to Savannah, he was like, Deech, like it was crazy. Like it was, it was so fun. And, and so he's a kind, kind person. And we had, and, and so then he, the casting director got to invite like his best like girlfriends. So all of us got along and like, we all hung out at the hotel. We went out drinking. I went to breakfast. I love, listen, I love working out of town. Right. <laughs> it's my favorite thing to do. It's my favorite. Well, and I know yeah. Haviland, uh, who's been on this podcast before yes. was also in that sequence. Yes. Um, I, here's what I love about Magic Mike XXL. There's an attitude around sexuality and whatever floats anybody's boat is okay in that world. Like the, 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 the women that are represented and the parties they go to, there's sort of a, an acceptance. Nobody's looking down on anyone. There's something about it that made me feel really safe, but also kind of sexy and turned on at the same time. There, there was a point of view, a worldview, that I was like, I want to live in that movie. And it's not just because the guys are hot, right? I totally and completely agree with you. Um, and, you know, it all starts from the top. So when you have the people who are in the movie, like care, like Jada Pinkett Smith cared so much about the movie. Right. You know, like she brought all of these ideas about women and sexuality to those boys and was like we need to like i think she had a a heavy hand in that that's just my that's just what my like secret behind the scenes vibe was right um and and i think that it actually honors like you're saying it honors so many people too like it like honors people's experiences and um you know also you're right like everybody their job was like to turn everybody on right it didn't matter who you were and i didn't feel like there was any gay weirdness around gay panic stuff or anything like that in the movie and 
I don't know. I just thought, like, I wish the world operated the way this movie does. Because not a lot happens. But there's something about the hangout vibe. It reminded me of being involved with friends and doing things or work trips. or Like, it, it just was a vibe that I was like, on the surface, this movie seems silly. And I'm feeling it in a, I'm experiencing it in a very deep way. Um, yeah, don't you want to, like, hang out with Channing? I will tell you that. I would call Channing him Chan. Tatum. I would call him Chan. <laughs> Like, like Channing Tatum is definitely um, in touch with something in that way yes. that is really special. And also, like, you know, when you're filming it, you never get to see the full dance right. be completed. But because I was at rehearsal, I saw him and Twitch do it uninterrupted, which was like the coolest inside thing to yeah. be in on. Like to not have it stop and start, you know. So it, Twitch just to do did the Twitch whole thing. from. So you think you can dance? I'm, I'm, I'm a, that guy too. He choreographed Chan's thing, the 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 big solo. He or he um, danced it with him. It, it, it definitely was uh, Allison, who is the choreographer. Right. Definitely did it with Channing, but Twitch was doing things that right. were so brilliant that. Channing was like, oh, I wanted to, can we do that? Can you teach me that? Right. And he definitely was like giving him his space to create. Yeah. It was a really cool vibe. It was a great set. And, and what, what is your many, take? You know, there were 500 extras. That's hard to control. And it, they were still really cool. This might sound silly, but what was your take on the character you're playing in that scene? Like, what was her deal? Because I think there's a way to go with that that's maybe a little embarrassing or degrading or do you know what I'm saying? I bet you came into that with a consciousness. Oh, I, you know, I did. I, I sort of decided I was the one who it was her first time ever doing that, but her friends sort of talked her into it. Right. And then when I get picked, like I can't even wrap my head around what's happening to me, <laughs> um, which is so fun because like I, you can clearly say, I see that I say, Oh my god yeah and i'm like you know and stuff like that and um and also like it's um it, it was it is like a little embarrassing it is like a little bit like after it happens you're all worked up and then you're just dropped and you're like oh, i have all these feelings now like <laughs> right. but that actually happened that wasn't acting <laughs> like that is actually yeah. what am I supposed to do? after afterwards i was like who are we going out to meet like we were like on the prowl all of us we're like hey, we've just been dangled you know this this man candy right i've got like, whatever the experience days. of blue balls is the reverse of that exactly. uh, is exactly. the, the, the female version of that um you've done a lot of cool stuff on stage as well you were in footloose the musical which i like I i'm a footloose fan i get it i thought the remake movie was really good too i was into it um yeah the remake it's interesting i always found they shied away from making it about race and i i don't know i don't know if this has to be a story about race but i feel like um i i do feel like though that the problem with outsiders tends to be a white person's problem now that like i have retrospect i've always wanted to direct footloose by the way and i love dean pitchford who wrote the movie and a lot of the songs in the soundtrack and, right um i so um, maybe I'm officially pitching this to him. Hey, if you want to do a revival, I'm like right. ready to go. Um, because I was just thinking about the other day, like 
I love the musical too, by the way. I love being in the musical. Like I know people have like definite feelings about it either way. It was like singing my my songs from my childhood. It was like a dream. Yeah, it was like it. a mixtape moment come to life. Yeah. But first you, Broadway show. But you mentioning that having it to do with race, it never occurred to me. But of course it does. Right? Yeah. That's the thing yeah. I think so many people are waking up to things that we dots that we weren't connecting before. And I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like I yeah. certainly have been. And you were with Wicked. Um, yes. How fun was that? You know, it it was a lot of fun. It, once we got to, like, relax and not work so hard on it. Because you were in, became... were you at the beginning? No. When were you? Yes. Yes. I you created the a role. original cast. I'm a platinum recording artist. I Thanks love so it. Much for buying. Yes. I have a Grammy. Um, so, uh, yeah, I did it in San Francisco out of town. And we just worked so, so hard. I love San Francisco, though. It's like one of my right. favorite places on the planet. And um, everybody in it was so brilliant that that, of course, was incredible. Like, you know, just like considering these like Tony Award winners, my friends, is like bananas to me. You know what I mean? You seem too um, young to have been in the original cast of Wicked. That's I, what I seem to. Too young. <laughs> right? Because I'm doing the math in my head. But yeah. You're very sweet. No, and I'm, I'm not being. I, that, that's why I kind of hesitated around that question because it said you created a role, but I'm going, no, wait, she's too young to have done that. But you did. No, but, I fool the people. There you go. When you use, when you use sunblock and stay like 20, 30 pounds overweight and then have, um, and then like love what you're doing in your life, you fool the people. I fool the people all the time. Although I don't, I mean, you know, Right. It's it's it's. I'm trying. To, I'm trying not to shoot the face up with filler. I don't like it. I don't. The thought of it freaks me out. I just don't want things in my face. Yeah, um, it, it's a little. It's a little. Just to as a viewer to look at it, it's a little disconcerting. But I feel for people. It feels like it. It feels like you're damned if you do, if you damned if you don't. But um, I, I mean to, for sure. But listen, I'm a character lady, so I actually could use a little age on my face. Like yeah. maybe because maybe I could like make people believe I am the age that I am. Right. Did you take um, a <laughs> I also to... act like an idiot. That yeah. Dennis, when you act like an idiot in the world, like it's fun to be young. <laughs> I like it. Did you take broad, uh, Wicked to Broadway? Were you there when it went to Broadway? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and what was it like when you guys didn't win the Tony? Cause I remember Avenue Q won, right? Oh, so funny. You know, I had seen, we had a break over the summer after doing it in San Francisco. And then before we started rehearsals again, and I, and I went and saw Avenue Q on my birthday as my birthday present. To wow. And I loved it. I had a blast. Um, and our musical director was the same. So right. it was Steven, it was Steven Ramos. Right. So, you know, um, it, we were at the after party. Everybody really thought that it was going to be us. Right. And then it wasn't. And I will say that people, there were some people who were devastated. I laughed like a crazy hyena <laughs> with the person who made the wigs. And we just like, me and Chuck were just like bending down, laughing hysterically because it was so like, it, it, it felt like this thing that everyone put all of this right. importance on. It is so and important. We're, yeah, like, and we're doing the show, and we're like, the audiences are loving it. Like, who cares, right. you know? So I don't get attached, especially after Footloose. You know, for, Footloose pretty famously got kept out of all the Tony nominations, except for 
D. Hody, I think, and choreographer, or A.C. Sula got a nomination too. Right. Um, so we, I've never really been invested in the Tonys. They broke my heart a long time before, <laughs> especially all this stuff coming out about like how producers behave and Scott Rudin and all that. Yeah. Like, it's like, it's all a joke. It's not the work that we do. You right. know what I mean? And so I don't really care. I mean, I kid around about winning a Grammy for Wicked, but like, I don't yeah. really care. <laughs> but, you, but it's funny though. It's funny that you broke, you started laughing in the moment. Um, I died. And you know that I'm sure people person... were looking at you like, why are you laughing? No, they weren't. They knew exactly what I was laughing. Trust <laughs> me. My cast knew me very well. Um, <laughs> but the, um, you know, that in, in the next day when we went in on the call board, there was a picture of the moment in the Tonys when they announced it. And the person had put up Wicked before they put, they had been had their button on Wicked ready to go in the control room. So Wicked popped up for a second first and then Avenue Q. And so our stage manager screenshot it and was like, guess someone else thought we were going to win too. Like, so funny. Wow. Oh, it's so ridiculous. That's like a La La Land Moonlight kind of mess up almost. Completely. Um, talk to me about uh, the plus side, plus this show. That's something you've done online. Yeah. Yes, yes. So um, thank you for asking me about it, by the way, because it's like really, um, it's like really where my heart is in a lot of ways. Yeah, so, I, I, I know that just from knowing you, uh, the, the bit that I do, that, that these issues and this kind of visibility and representation is important to you. Yeah, so... I will go back, gosh, it's like already like four or five years now because we, we've done five seasons. Um, I, so I had a really crazy year where I, where I got to do Magic Mike XXL and I got to do a pilot and I did American Horror Story and I was like, oh, I'm on a roll, I'm on a roll. And then like everything dried up uh, acting wise. And I was like, this is so weird. And um, I wanted to talk about it and I was like what is happening like why aren't why all of a sudden are plus size people like completely out of the picture right and so I started I a, a mutual friend put me and Eva Tingley together and we just started talking and just started you know, I wasn't any kind of activist. We just were talking about it and had like fat actresses on with us. And, um, you know, I wasn't even comfortable with the word fat then. And, um, now I can't imagine not saying it or not identifying that way. It, the, you know, fat activism community really, um, changed my life and made me free in a way that I didn't even know that I had not been free. And basically just like, again, that not caring, that feeling like, oh, like the way I look is absolutely fine. I'm absolutely healthy. I'm, even if I wasn't, that doesn't mean I'm a bad person. Uh, disabled people deserve rights. You know, people who, um, they call them, uh, super fats or infinite fats deserve rights. They deserve mobility, like deserve be able to go to see movies and go to see theater. So like, we all have to fight for this. We have to fight that everybody has, you know, equal rights and, um, and representation. And the, the thing that made me nuts, the, the cat, like the thing that caught my eye that made me go from just someone wondering to someone who's like, Oh, I have to explore this. And it's now 68%. But I saw a number that four years ago was 67% of American women are size 14 or above, right. but we're only represented in film, TV and media less than 2% of the time. And I just couldn't believe it was so, it was like two thirds, like above two thirds right. of the company look like, of the country look like me. And 
yet we were nowhere. So, um, yeah, I've been going into like clubhouse rooms and like blowing people up, like asking them about it. I've been like, and like I went to Broadway con and did a panel about it. And, um, because it also has happened in theater. It's not just with film and TV. So, um, yeah. And just like, you know, books like health at every size changed my life, which means like, you know, which basically talks about BMI. And I even used the word overweight earlier and um, I got all weird about it. And I was like, that's not like, there's like in fat activism, it's kind of like, there is no overweight. There's not a perfect weight for you. Like we all just are existing in the world. So I I caught myself using that and I probably shouldn't have, but um, we're all learning. It's all process. Right. But you found yourself as you were having these conversations, this sort of activist spirit was kind of igniting in you a little bit. You were finding like, Oh, I have a lot to say about this. And I, and I want to, what is, what has that been like to realize in yourself? For me, uh, I've always had this thing of hating injustice. Like I right. just hate that things aren't fair. That's right. just always the way I've been. And then when I sat back and figured out by reading so much material, how marginalized fat people are. I mean, there was a huge doctor survey, survey of medical professionals. Um, I want to say there were like 15,000 doctors surveyed and they said that at just 17 pounds overweight based on that garbage science. Um, I put that in quotes that like BMI garbage science at just 17 pounds overweight, they, they have bias against people. So fat people don't even have a chance at the doctor. It's and, and we get paid less and you know, we, we don't get promoted. I mean, there's so many things we don't have clothes to wear, you know, it's just like trying to get like a good pair of pants is like impossible. So I, I just, I just feel like it was time to take my activism and like point it at myself and be like, okay, are you going to fight for yourself? Like I I've marched for LGBTQ rights. I, right. you know, of given time to service work for helping homeless people, like uh, all, all these things. And um, when, so then all of a sudden it was like, wait a minute, this is really wrong. This is wrong. And especially the representation, because, you know, you know, this, this is all we ever talk about. When you see yourself, like you, we, you and I both remember the thing as a kid that we saw that made me feel like it was okay to be like I was in the world. Yeah. You know what I mean? For me, it was um, Ann Wilson and Hart on MTV. A badass. I was like, I I could be that. I could be a rock star. She's a rock star. I could do that. She looks like me. So, you know, that was what happened to me at 10. And, you know, everybody has that story. So um, we know what makes us feel like whole people. And that's really seeing yourself so reflected. So that's kind of where I'm at. And, and, you know, I've been to like WGA events and talked about it, like just trying to get people in our industry to realize that it's not a moral, um, people think of being heavy or putting on more weight as such a moral problem. Right. Like it's like, it like that need to, people need to be attachment of you're not a good person right. if you're fat. Right. And I'm really trying to shake people up and out, out of, of that. that. Um, because 68% of American women cannot be bad people. Yeah. That's not true. This is not a problem. Our problem is the way we see it. So I, um, I think that's great. Talk to me about the word fat. Is that because is it sort of like the the LGBT 
uh, community has taken queer and sort of like we're gonna we're gonna own that and we're gonna you know you know even though fat isn't doesn't have quite the baggage that that does but it could be like if you had told me that oh we don't say that I would have been like oh okay like you know we t- I know that it was the word that was weaponized against me as a child right like, I I have memories of me as a five year old feeling fat and put it like hiding behind roses that I gotten for my dance concert. Cause I didn't want to be with my skinny cousins. So basically it's just like taking it back. Like it's just a descriptor. So right. if someone calls you fat, it's true. Like I am. So it's so, like, right. yeah. okay. So it's like, now what, you know right. what I mean? It's like, um, so it, it's basically instead of all of these other thing twists and turns that we do in order to describe, you know, someone having a bigger body, yeah. like just say fat, it's okay. Like it's not a big deal. And, um, you know, people, um, use fat as a feeling, you know, I feel so fat today. It's like, that's not a thing. Like fat, yeah. fatness is not in your feeling. Right. You feel bloated or you know that you're carrying water or whatever like fatness isn't like something that comes and goes with the breeze and usually people say it as like such a negative so just like yeah i'm fat or talking about being fat and just not having anything on it it's just a word that describes just like you would say someone's thin right it's just the truth so take this thing out of it yeah it doesn't have like a plus or minus to it although i think it's i'm having a pretty fabulous fat life right now so I, I, I think it's pretty great to be fat. <laughs> Do you think things are changing? I worked as a writer on the show Fashion Police from like 2010 to 2013. And we were not nice to heavier people. I remember sitting around those tables and pitching jokes. And it each one of us had to write 10 of them. So just imagine 10 writers around a table. Like that, that was kind of the, it was not pleasant. I did it. And then, like, I didn't quit. <laughs> I did go on strike eventually. But I don't think that show would exist the way it was back then, now, for a second. I don't think... You, we couldn't have done what we were doing then now. It's it's different now, which I think is great. But what have you observed about the way things have changed? Um, and and things that, that used to be okay that don't seem to be as okay. Has it changed much, or is it just window I mean, dressing? think that it's changed right. like i just i don't think that it really has let's, right. let's just say I, I just read a pilot um and there is a character it's a has very big people attached to it you know all of them you actually might be friends with a couple of them we can talk about that off the air yeah. but um it's about a group that's like a like that's supposed to be helping, I guess, with like their eating disorder or something or disordered eating or I don't know. But there is in it a fat, a body positive. They didn't call it fat. They say a body positive woman who is overweight and they call her overweight, which a body positive, a truly body positive person would never do. So, and they say she's just there because she doesn't want to go over 200 pounds because that's like a little crazy. And so like even this thing that feels like it wants to be so progressive is still stuck in like Oprah Winfrey land. Like right. like re- true body positivity, true fat positivity is not concerned about your diet. It is very anti-diet culture because that's the mind – that's where we – they just take up, especially women's, but also men, especially gay men's right now. Yes, you mind, think about it a lot. Space. 
Yeah, you think about diets a lot and it takes up your mind space and it takes up your it controls you. Yeah. And instead of doing things like being a real activist, you talk about the gym or how much you're eating all the time. Yeah. And it and it's sort of like this weird thing that placates us into um, feeling like we're not good people basically. Yeah. So, so I, no, I don't think it's perfect. I think it's trying. I think there are little glimmers. Right. Can I tell yeah. you, Dennis, that the thing that really makes me the most mad are the children's shows that are still, still writing horrible, horrible characters and are literally abusing fat people on their shows for kids to watch. Right. And, that, and for kids to are think it's okay. In our way. Yeah. And not one of them is all of them do it. Every single streaming, all any producing house who's producing kids con content does it for like middle schoolers, especially. And it's disgusting. I say no more than I say yes to breakdowns because most of them come in that are these children's shows that are terrible. They're terrible. And I would never, ever in a million years want a kid to say, think that that's an okay way to be. Like, yeah. yeah. What do you, know, you think? I, of I mean, listen, I think as long as like straight old white guys are making comedies, like fat jokes are going to be there and they're terrible. Yeah. 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 Um, it's interesting. Like part of the thing for me during the pandemic was like, I'm just going to try to like my body the way it is. I'm going to just try to be fine with it, you know? And it's kind of worked a little bit. Like <laughs> I have spent, you know, I, I, I'm all right. You know, it's, it's like, I don't want to spend that mental energy. I remember, like, there was this this guy that I know that I'm friendly with that that um that was on Facebook, and he got super great shape a couple years ago, and there were pictures all over, and it was like, good for you, you look amazing, I'm jealous, you're hot, I want to sleep with you, I'm fat, what you all the stuff that it brings up, and then he posted a couple weeks ago about how he didn't do anything during the pandemic, and he lost it all, and I'm like, oh, we went on that whole journey. And now, like, I felt like, ugh, like, we, we spend so much time thinking about, I want to be more of this or less of that or this or that. It's so, what can we be doing with that time? It's like, a few yeah. years ago, Oprah started doing Weight Watchers or something again. And I was like, oh, I thought we went through this. <laughs> I thought this was and I found it very with. disheartening. She did a whole tour. I mean, here's the thing. You are a billionaires. Yeah, I like, thought you were done with this If you can't do it, maybe it's not a thing we can do. Maybe yes. our bodies keep regulating when we starve it back to not being starving. Like that. And if you read any... Um, Dr. Lindo Bacon has amazing books on this. There's another book called um, Body Respect that's yeah. uh, not as as detailed as health at every size but definitely worth reading you will just have your mind blown open and um you know it's uh i will say that if you what helped me the most i'll just i'll put it in my context sure. and not, like give advice but the thing that changed me i have a an instagram account uh, at plus this show and i'm in charge of it and when i first started it I just wanted to have as many like beautiful plus size people as possible on it. And that's pretty much what it is. And just seeing people all the time 
who looked like me and even people who were fatter than me who I definitely judged and like definitely looked down upon. I just like want to be really honest. I, I was not like born this way. I had to like train my brain to think differently. Just seeing images really made me change my mind and really made me change my mind about myself and seeing myself like posing for pictures and, you know, having, you know, dress sponsors that we had to like take pictures of ourselves in dresses. Like just seeing that made me get over myself. And uh, what we ended up finding out was there was a study done. They always knew that your um, what you see is the thing that your brain processes the fastest. Right. Like, even though like, Oh, I smell something and it reminds me of something that's actually like not the quickest mem the thing that gets processed fastest. But when they finally found a way to measure how fast we process it, it actually was like five times, I think it was five times, it was five times faster than they had even predicted. So you change your brain when you change what you see. And just like people are like begging you to like go watch BIPOC, you know, created narratives like on TV and film, which I totally recommend doing. It's the same with photos of in your Instagram feed, if you're following a bunch of muscle dudes, like you're going to keep feeling like crap about yourself, put guys who look like you in your feed. And it literally will change your brain synapses to be more accepting and to be less biased. That's one of the, that's one of the coolest things that I had that I, it is a thing I did and it worked like right. it so had a result and a quick result. It was really fast. I so also, I also think it's not just about how you feel about yourself. It's what you find desirable. Because I can think of things that I've seen in pop culture that maybe those guys weren't my type or whatever. Maybe they were older, younger, a uh, different race or what, whatever. And I saw that movie and I was like, that. You know what I mean? Like, and, and it's, not, it's not like, I'm going to think about that. No, it's fucking desire. You know, like, um, I've seen that happen in my own life. So you're right. These images are important. What do you think of Lizzo? I think that Lizzo... Um, again, I, I was a very early fan of Lizzo. Like right. I went and saw her at like the Fonda with like 2000 people. I think I remember I mean? talking to you about this. That's why, uh, went oh, one time over our friend Matt's, that's why I, why I wanted to ask about it. Cause I think you had just gone to see her or whatever. Yeah. Well, he, he and I went to Vegas. That's what because, it was. Yeah. Yes. Lizzo's concert in Vegas literally was like she had like a revival. It was, it, I felt like I was at church and she has a whole section where she's at a pulpit and everything, but she really like watching someone so in their body and just like doing what they're so brilliant at it. It, it felt like me. It felt like I've been this person since I was in Footloose. You know what I mean? Right. Even before that, when I did the hair tour in Europe, like I was so present and in my body, I'm so present in my body when I'm working. Like, and, and it's like all the off time. That's the problem, right? It's right. like, if I could just be on stage all the time, I wouldn't, I would have never ever my whole life thought I needed to change my body ever. Right. But so like watching her do that and have the success that she has is so refreshing. I, the problem is, is that people may, Make people unicorns so like there's one Adele there's one Lizzo like do you know the amount of fat girls who are brilliant singers I have a joke with one of my friends I'm like I never met a fat girl who wasn't a brilliant singer <laughs> I've never met one like there and just because we're fat I had a, a guy who said he wanted to take me on as a record client but I had to lose 
of 30 pounds. Right. And I knew at the time he meant 50. And I was like, I can't have my life be about that. Like, right. I can't, like he said, I, I imagine you like Celine Dion actually bringing it back. He's like, you're like Celine Dion to me. And I was like, well, except for I'm never going to be Celine Dion because I will never be that thin. Like, so I, I sort of made this choice at a very young age to like go, theater seemed to be the place that accepted me. Right. So that's where I went. But I wanted pop. I wanted to be a pop star. I mean, that was, and to see Lizzo do it, it's great. But are we going to be able to have other people who are right. fat do it too? And, you know, there are people like YOLO and Tank at the, and the Bangas. And there are a bunch of like indie people that are coming up that hopefully will break those molds too. When did you first know you could really sing? Gosh, I mean, my dad and mom have like super eights of me singing at like three <laughs> singing at three to lawrence welk i don't know i there's to lawrence welk one, yeah lawrence welk show my grandmother was obsessed my was mother watched that show and i thought it was <laughs> yeah. so square and i realize now that when i watch dancing with the stars that is my lawrence welk <laughs> It's colorful and musical, and there's nice people dancing. Oh Do you know what God, I mean? That's exactly what I'm like, is. okay, I get it. This is my Lawrence Welk. I understand. <laughs> I understand that now. Is hilarious. Yes, I um. There, we actually have a little joke in Titanic that is a Lawrence Welk joke that I hope some people pick up on. Well, I will appreciate um, it. Yeah, but uh, you know, I I, I made hates singing with my neighbor at like seven like I always loved to sing I always but but it really was when I was um probably in like fifth grade maybe sixth grade that and I went to Catholic school for 12 years and there was a nun there was like a nun who came to town um like talk about Maria von Trapp and she taught music to the whole school she like taught fourth grade but she taught music to everybody and she picked me out and said I want you to come and sing with the mass on Sunday with guitar mass And, and I was like oh I thought only eighth graders did that and she was like no you can do it too and that's how, and she's the one who taught me how to do like harmonies and stuff and counterpoint. Like she like explained, she taught me basically. She, she was an incredible. She is. She probably is still alive. Kathy, God, don't kill people off. Um, like an incredible twelve string string guitar player. She wrote her own music. She's Sister Marian Elizabeth. Yeah. I love she's, that you had a nun like pluck you from the 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 throngs obscurity. of <laughs> yes obscurity and like you are special. You, my child, are special. Um, yeah, I love that. It's because I was loud. I was yeah. very loud. I was always very loud. I know that you also coach or teach sometimes. Um, what have you learned about yourself from teaching? Oh, great question. Uh, I, I really, it, it's so nice to be present tense, to really be in the moment with an artist and I, feel, I really feel like it humbles me so much that I get to work with some, I'm telling you, if anybody needs young talent, you have to come to me. I have some of the most incredible students right now who are stars, who are legitimate rock stars, some of them, some of them are young kids who are just so special. Um, I think the fact that I get to be really in the moment working with them in present tense and not, and everything else disappears is like such, it's like really holy. Like, it's really like an 
honor in a way um, that blesses my life. It blesses my life. And I know that there are some of my peers who are teaching, who don't have that feeling, who don't have that calling, but I definitely have it. And and I'm just happy I do. I'm happy that I get, that I love to do it. Yeah. Gen Z or millennials, younger people, get slagged off a lot by from people our age and they're entitled and all of this stuff. But I also am inspired by them. I think they they don't put up with shit that we put up with. What do you what have you observed about young people from teaching? They they get things on a whole other level. They learn things on a whole other level. They are miles ahead of me most of the time. They like they see the world that they want and when you come up with excuses about why it's not that way, right? They literally are like, "No, that's not a good enough reason." Yeah, <laughs> just, that, I, and I love that, and like that, I want to be challenged in that way because that is so much of it is true. Yes. So many of the things we're like, "Well, capitalism." They're like, "Yeah, well, it sucks, and we shouldn't have it." I'm like, "You know what? Maybe we shouldn't." Like, uh, right? We've been messing it up. So, and I and there definitely is a sense of like doing which I enjoy. Like, they're like, oh no, if I want something, I'll do it. You know what I mean? There, there, there's not a hang up. There's not this feeling of, do I have to be worthy? And I think that that's the thing that we have trouble with is that they're, they're so entitled. Like, why shouldn't they have be entitled? Yeah. Like we say that everyone deserves, you know, to have their dreams come true. We say that, but then I spend half my life going, oh God, am I worthy? I'm too fat. I don't know. I'm a good person. And they just don't have that. They're like, no, I, I, I'm an American. I'm free. I should be able to have the life I want. Yeah. <laughs> so I love them. They I don't hang buy out into, well, that's the way it's always been or whatever. Like you'll even see that conversation now around Scott Rudin where people are like, well, we always knew that. And you, you sort of hear people that I actually respect kind of advocating for the status quo in a way. And I'm like, no, what if we didn't have to have that? What if assholes... What if it wasn't okay? What would that world look like? They, I don't know. They feel like people are holding on to this model of monstrosity for some reason. Like they're afraid is, that they're personally going to lose something because uh, they were part of it. I don't know. Listen, Scott. I'm sorry, Scott. I called you Scott. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, people do confuse me with Scott Rudin. Here's, this, here's how you can tell us apart. No. I'm not a good thrower. No, they don't. <laughs> I do like that Scott Rudin has dispelled the myth that gay people don't know how to throw. <laughs> he had pretty good aim, I guess. <laughs> Listen, um, Dennis, I just want to tell you that this it is this thing that show business has to be hard. Show business, you have to sacrifice everything. The show must go on, even if you're sick, even if your family has died, even if, you know, there is this weird romanticism of this suffering yes. that I think is crumbling. Yes. And, and not that a moment is, too soon. And that is part of it. And like, of course, he's in charge. And what I found fascinating about the new article that came out in Vulture, because I'm reading everything about it. Right. Um, the... One person said, you know, he didn't even have a big office. You would think like 30 or 40 people work there, but there was only 10 or 12. And that's because he was so crazy and so like power hungry that he only did everything. He did every single thing. So, of course, because he was white knuckling his power, he 
was a disaster. That's why he was a mess. And because he didn't allow, he didn't allow for creative process. So people who went to work for him thinking, I'm going to learn how to do this. I'm going to learn how to produce actually learned nothing because no one produces like that because he's the only idiot that thinks that it's all about him and that he only needs 10 or 12 people to do it. So like, so on top of it, it's like this romanticized, like old school producer thing that we feel like that's the only reason why things get made. I don't know if I I know that you love film history. You know, when I first found out that the beginning of the film industry was like men and women and anybody who wanted was filming and, and everyone like, it was like this really, yeah, it was a lot more female, uh, really, really. And then when the banking industry got involved was when all the men came in and said, women can't be in charge. Like, I mean, I remember my hair, I think was on fire. I was so mad because that's what it is. It's like this belief that women don't know how to budget, which we know how to budget much better than any MOFOs. Like, you know, the fact that, um, this romanticized thing that has to be really hard and only on one person's shoulders and you don't understand. It's just like, no, when, when are we going to like embrace collaboration? When are we going to embrace that your idea isn't always the best idea? And, and this trickles down into like what actors are fighting for too. Cause it's not just the Scott Rudins. It's like, I don't want, why at the top of my game in wicked, the biggest earning show on Broadway, do I have to do eight shows a week and miss weddings and funerals and babies and all kinds of things? Why am I working eight shows a week? Why am I not doing six out of these eight shows and having us rotate like they do at Radio City? That is a po- that is possible. All of this is possible. Like they call it golden handcuffs. You like you get a job like Wicked that's ongoing and continues to run. It's like a golden prison. Why are we calling the apex job the job you want to get as an actor in the on the theater? the best job you can get a golden prison. It makes no sense to me. So I've been trying to get out there and talk to while everybody's in this like fever of change, like my, that's my part of it. Yeah. Like I'm like body diversity and accessibility. And can we stop having toxic culture? Can we stop thinking that we don't deserve sick days? They don't give us sick days. We get one show off a month for sick days. That's insane. Like, like, that's absolutely ludicrous. And no wonder everyone in the building is sick all the time during flu season because no one stays home because you can't afford to. So, you know, I listen, I could go off, but, no, but I, I, just I, I love this, this conversation. I think it's really interesting. Yeah. My favorite thing over the last few years is a 6,000 word article about some asshole being exposed. I sit down <laughs> like it's Christmas morning. You know what I mean? The longer, the better. And then there's this article. And then like, I, you know, there was a period where you were getting one a week and then they dried up. And I was like, I need my fix. Give me Joss Whedon. Where's Joss, you know? So, but I wrote a novel in, uh, it came out in 1998. And there's a Scott Rudin joke in there. Um, One of the characters is at Disneyland. And they're talking to the face characters that have to wear the big head. And one of them says, wouldn't this be the worst job in the world? I'd rather work at a Burger King managed by Scott Rudin. And this was in 1998. So I already knew. You knew. And somebody reminded me of that joke recently. And I was like, that's right. And my first thought was, I shouldn't have put that in there. 
he could have heard about it and hurt my career. Like, he, I, I don't know if he would have or did have, but, like, I was more, I was braver around that stuff back then than now. Like, because, like, now I know that these people are that petty. They are that petty. Yeah. And, and is anything they do really good or do they just have famous people lift them up? Like, everyone's just like, he's one of the most brilliant creative minds. I'm like, is he though, really? Because I feel like I'm pretty damn creative. And if I just knew a couple more rich people, famous people, I could do some really dope shit. Like, I I just feel like, again, it's like this, um, because someone looks the part, we just assume all this stuff about them. And it's just like, just because you can get your hands on something doesn't mean that it's like you're really great or swift in your in your producing like i don't think blackmailing people is a good producer i don't think you know making people feel owed phone calls to you do that part of it when they he before offices opened he would make people leave a bunch of messages from him his assistants like a whole bunch of messages so that they owed him a call and they felt obligated to him i mean that's psychotic yeah that's psychotic so I don't think that's brilliant. I think that's insane. Yeah. I think that there's not enough truth being told in our business, like period. Like even in the stories that we tell, you know, like that's why Wicked feels so special to me. And even Titanic in a certain way, like the women stories matter, you know, like the point of view from a woman matters. And um, and uh, like show me a show that has such a rich story between a friendship of two women and in a musical that's been done in the last 10 15 years i mean i mean like you know the prom is cute i don't know i just i I feel like (laughs) winnie i feel like winnie holtzman really i I give her all my love and devotion all the time because i think i i got to audition for alphaba as like the standby in like the first or second year i was there right and, you know, short and fat, so it was, like, never going to happen. But I got to do it, like, and I did it in front of the whole team. And, and and the reader was really good, and I got to do that Alphaba Glinda fighting scene. And, um, God, it's so beautiful. It's so well-written. And I feel like I did it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like in that audition room, I actually got to perform that part in that You got scene. to feel it. You got to feel yeah. that. Yeah, like and that it was, character. and man, it's so great. And like, that's what we crave. And and that's what I feel like LA doesn't do anymore. And that's why these gems are happening in like the, in like the periphery, right? Like you have like, I may destroy you on the side and you have, you know what I mean? You have these like incredible juicy real things on the fringe like the spirit awards are always my favorite things the things that are winning in that or nominated and and that's kind of that's why i don't really need to be famous i just like want to do good stuff you know i love it well titanic is coming up i hope everybody watches it me too it's really fun um it's if you love celine you'll love it if you like to make fun of celine you'll love it 
and the voice if you, is a, if you love titanic you'll love it if you love to make fun of titanic and specifically james cameron you'll love it <laughs> um how can people find out about about you personally do you have social media uh, things that you want to share i do i do um plus this show is a great place to start um yeah. but also i'm on twitter kathy deach um Kathy with a K, D-E-I-T-C-H. There is no die in Deech. Um, my friend used to say that. There's, uh, there is no die in Deech. I was like, that's brilliant. I love um, it. Yeah, and, you know, uh, I'm on I'm on Instagram. If you go to Plus the Show, you'll see my handle for my personal in there. So it'll link you. Yeah, I, I you know, social media, I'm in Clubhouse sometimes. Uh, I've ha- When I have time, I haven't had time since I've been on the East Coast, but when I get time, I love to be in rooms and chat. And if you need a moderator, I'm so happy to. Yeah, I haven't gotten under moderator. the clubhouse thing, but I'm reserving judgment. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I feel um, like you would swim. love it, Dennis. Yeah, there's just a lot. Like I, I just can't. I don't know if I can take another yeah. thing, you know. But you know, I don't spend much time. I spend time on Twitter now, uh, and like Instagram and Facebook. I mean, Zuckerberg just disgusts me so badly. <laughs> it's hard to give him my eyeballs. I right. just can't do it. You can't you know? do it. Um, I want. I loved our conversation. We touched on so many fun things and interesting things and, and different things. Here's my last question for you. You talked about sort of awakening and becoming more outspoken and, and starting to use your voice to stand up for things. Share with me a moment where it was very gratifying, where you felt like, oh, I, I, I really feel like like this made a difference or this feels really good to be doing this. This was oh, worth wow. the risk or the speaking out. You know, um, always with my students, for sure. I, I, there was a young girl, you know, I teach out in um, the West Valley a lot because that's sure. where people can afford um, lessons from a Broadway star. And I <laughs> used to work with an after-school company when things were open. Um, and there was a little girl who reminded me so much of me. And, you know, the like the kids out there are not – they are – little tiny stick kids all out in the West Valley in the gated communities. And her mom was like a teacher at the school. So she got to go and she was like this like cute little, like a kid, a kid with baby fat. I won't even say she was fat because she wasn't. She was was literally like me. I was not a fat kid. I was just adorable. Anyway. So, um, (laughs) that might have to be the um, title of this episode. I do like to, (laughs) Pull a quote out. Uh. I'm so glad. Um, so, you know, she auditioned and she would she would do like cartwheels all the time. She was a tumbler, you know, and I could tell she was just doing it to like show kids that she was talented, even though she didn't look like them. Right. And then and we got to cast her as the crazy, hilarious mother in Matilda. And I had people like, you know, people in the company who were like, this is going to cause draw. And I was like, she is brilliant. She came in ready to go. She is brilliant. And when I tell you, she was so good and funny. And I knew that I had to fight for that. Like, you know, so that definitely is, is with the kids for sure. When kids sort of get it and go, oh, I don't have to change myself. That, that really means a lot to me. And also that WGA meeting, you know, we went to a panel um, with writers that were talking about how to write for different body sizes. And there was a lot of stuff they didn't know. And I, as an actor, got up and, like, ha- like 
got to ask a question, but really I like told them some stuff. And I got so many cards after that. And I was like, oh, wow, like maybe stuff is shifting. So those are probably two like really um, places where you feel like you're heard. Like people yeah. have like, you can hear the ding go off in people's heads. Yeah, I mean, people kind of get it. it. I think that, I believe that. Yeah. I think that these, are so, so many things have just been a certain way for so long that we've just sort of gotten used to them and we don't always question them. But if we, but if our eyes are opened, change can happen, I think. I think so. Listen, the day that someone hires me just to play a part and not like to play a part that is a fat person is like the day my life changes. <laughs> like, just like, put me in a part that it does nothing talks about their weight at all that like just like I'm another person who has a life that doesn't think about this all the time I mean that that would be revolutionary to me right I love it can I ask you one more question because I always do this I have one question and, <laughs> and then I think of another thing I've interviewed a lot of actresses especially when I was doing a lot of magazine work and and there has always been in Hollywood a real need to be thin and like camera thin like it, it's it's not even like real it's a different kind how yeah. do they relate to you when you are, are they does it depend on the person or is it or do you re represent something because they're that's a, its own kind of torture um and i'm just wondering i don't know how 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 they are around if, if they're if there's a vibe or if it doesn't matter everyone's in the I, same... I will tell you i am almost always the only fat person on a set i'm almost always when i do have another fat person with me it feels like christmas it's like it and in, and by the way in theater shows too right you know there's only there was only room for one fat right we've got our gay person we need our fat person we've got our black yeah. person it's like a little bit like a tokenism yeah for sure. so uh, so i think that's also the like loneliness of it which is why being my i have a sketch comedy group that you had asked about earlier oh yeah so we cool. i saw you guys yeah that um it were a fat femme sketch comedy group um, called fatch fatch fat plus sketch equals fatch um, making fetch happen and uh yeah and that has really changed so much about like how I feel on stage my expectation like and and just like we've done shows our last show RIP was at um US uh, UCB Sunset and before the pandemic in January of 2020 and um like we literally had people come to us crying because they were like I was so overwhelmed watching all fat women be on this stage because UCB is like really body biased. Like, again, you get to have one fat lady in your group, like right. they're very managerial and, um, you know, it, 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 so that really has been revolutionary to me too. Good for you. Well, I hope you guys, you'll pick up again after things open up a little bit more with your sketch. Yes, let's group. hope so. Yeah. Let's hope so. I love We're it. We're trying to figure it out. Yes. Well, everybody needs to watch Titanic and see if you survive the iceberg and see how you <laughs> manage those big Celine notes, which I can't wait for. Um, I can't wait to see you guys how you do it. How it's oh going to be God, on the stage and all Dennis, that stuff. I think you're going to love it. I, I love it. There's new, there's new songs, so you're not Ooh. seeing the same old show. Interesting. Yeah, there's new jokes. Yeah. I love it. Well, this has been so fun to talk to you. I love everything you're about. Thank you. And uh, you're always delightful to, to see in person or on Zoom. So 
Um, Thank have you. a great time in New York, and um, yes. I can't wait to see the show. <laughs> All right, bye. Thanks again to Kathy Deach for uh, checking in from her quarantine where she's rehearsing Titanic. All right, so this happened. As you know, I think I've talked about in the past, I've been hosting virtual game nights and, and reuniting with people from my past that were part of certain groups, like my cruise ship friends. And this past Sunday, I got a group together from my past that I haven't seen in 35 years, maybe, altogether. Um, when I first moved to Los Angeles, it was to do a musical theater workshop uh, at the American Center for Musical Theater at the Music Center downtown. It was very prestigious. It was a big deal that I got in. Um, and so there were 11 guys and 11 girls, 12 weeks, five days a week, six hours a night. It was intense. And um, the, we were able to get like nine of them on, the, on this Zoom call to play this game. And it was so great to see everybody and relive fun memories. But there was one person that was sort of ran the show at this workshop who was... Um, What's a nice word for it? Monster. He was kind of a monster. He played a lot of mind games with everybody. And so part of this game ended up being like a therapist, a group therapy session, talking about different experiences with this person. I got off relatively easy. I know certain people were really sexually harassed. I just got told I needed to lose 10 pounds if I ever wanted to be successful. And the truth is he was right then and he's right now. I make that joke even after I just had this wonderful conversation <laughs> with Kathy Deach about body acceptance and like getting over that crap. But um, that was that was kind of as nasty as he got to me, although mind games were being played constantly. And it was just, I don't know, such an example of like that mindset of like, you know, we're going to toughen you up because this is how show business is and we're going to be brutal to you and break you down to build you up and you see it in acting classes and you see it in, 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 in productions and all of this stuff. And maybe it's in all kinds of fields, but I do feel like there's, it's sort of glamorized in, in entertainment a bit, but it was so great to connect with these people and um, oddly emotional. And we found that that, that workshop meant a lot of different things to different people, but it was significant for everybody in a big way. For me, it got me out of Arizona. I had no idea what I was doing after college. And that bought me a little time. Like, I'm going to go do this thing. I kind of just tagged along with some other friends from my school. Um, Don and Eleanor, who were also on the on the call the other day that we played with. Um, and the coolest thing, I think, the most significant thing that came out of it is the dance instructor that would come in like once a week was Annette Cardona, who played Chacha de Gregorio in Greece. So she's kind of iconic, but she was our dance teacher. She was very, um, she was larger than life. She was kind, but tough and like worked us hard, made us work hard. And after the workshop was over, I continued to take her class. And um, I think when I auditioned for the cruise ships, because I had been taking her class, I, I was where I needed to be to get that job. I don't know if I had gotten it as a dancer without that, that training right before. So, and that changed my life in a, in a huge way. It's, it showed me the world, opened up my whole world, set me on, on a path. So yeah, it was wild to relive that workshop with those people, but it was really great to con reconnect. So that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. Uh, catch you next time on Dennis. Bye.